The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Start! You can call me Bruce. Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back to this AFC Championship edition of the Bruce Exclusive. That's right. Feel it. Stretch out. Bask in it. The Buffalo Bills are going to the AFC Championship after defeating the Baltimore Ravens 17-3 in the AFC Divisional Playoff Round. But that's not the only good news that happened this week. In related news to the Buffalo Bills, Los Angeles Rams defensive coordinator Brandon Staley was hired as the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers going across town. And Brian Dable, it is reported, will not interview for either of the remaining two head coaching spots the Philadelphia Eagles, and the Houston Texans, which means that despite my original thoughts, Brian Dable is not going to be a head coach next year, which gives Josh Allen in this offense another year of continuity around him from that regard. It's not just keeping Brian Dable. It's also all the potential people that may have gone with Brian Dable. Now, it should be noted that of the assistant coaches on the staff with Brian Dable on the offensive side of the ball. The vast majority of them predate Brian Dable. They're really McDermott hires, not Brian Dable hires. However, Brian Dable's been here a couple years. So if there's opportunities for Chad Hall, for example, the wide receivers coach, to go be the offensive coordinator with Brian Dable when he leaves, then that right there is a win for the Buffalo Bills. Continuity around Josh Allen for another year is a good thing. Whether or not you think Josh Allen is capable of flying this high without Brian Dable, 
It certainly doesn't hurt to have him, that's for sure. Because there's two main arguments against Josh Allen that still remain. The first is that it was a fluke. Because they can't say he wasn't effective this year. Like, nobody can say Josh Allen didn't play well this year. No one with, you know, half of a brain cell can say that Josh Allen wasn't good this year. So they'll say, okay, he was good, but it was a fluke. Which means they'll need to see more success over a longer period of time. Which I understand from a sample size. I'm not willing to go so far as to commit to it's a fluke. I think that's it completely ignoring the progression of Josh Allen. Just saying, it's a fluke. It'll never happen again. He'll never be this good again. And he'll always go back to where he was in 2019, 2018. I don't think there's any sort of evidence that that's absolutely 100% a guarantee that it's going to happen. The second argument against Josh Allen is, well, it's Brian Dable. And the longer that Josh Allen and Brian Dable have success together, actually, the lesser you get of that argument. Because over time, the offensive coordinator can't just continue to outsmart everybody. You have to have a quarterback who can make plays. You're seeing that with the Los Angeles Rams and Jared Goff. You saw Sean McVay cook up a really good offensive scheme. And that works for a little bit. But you still have to have a trigger man who's good. Or else the league will catch up with your schemes. You have to have a trigger man who can play at a high level. Jared Goff has not played at a high level this year. We saw it with Frank Reich and Carson Wentz. You saw things like this happen. And now Tom Brady left Bill Belichick. I don't know why everyone thought it was Belichick. It's just 100% Belichick. And Brady's having success at Tampa. Why? Because it's never just the coordinator. It might be just the coordinator for a year, but it's never just the coordinator. You need to have a good trigger man. Defenses are too good. Defensive coordinators are too good. They will catch up with you. So I think that having Brian Dable back for another year almost completely eliminates the possibility that after Josh Allen, assuming he has success next year, we'll have the it's a fluke argument. That one will pretty much be gone. And the it's Brian Dable argument will be lessened. It might seem like it won't be lessened at all because his offensive coordinator will still be Dable. But again, the longer that goes, the less argument I think you have. And so I love it. I, I personally think the Dable argument's ridiculous anyway because Brian Dable has never had a successful passing offense like this. Ever. He's coordinated lots and lots of NFL teams. The most successful passing offense he had was at Alabama. In college. It wasn't with Kansas City. wasn't with Miami. wasn't with Cleveland. I think the incredibly ironic thing is that when Brian Dable was hired, the narrative around Brian Dable was, well, he can scheme up a good running attack. That was the narrative. It was, he can scheme up a good running attack. And now the Bills are a middling running team and a dynamic passing offense. And now everyone thinks it's Dable. As a general rule, if you come across someone who says it's just Dable, 100% Dable, has nothing to do with anything else, that person can be effectively ignored. Because they don't know anything about Brian Dable or his history or Josh Allen or his history. There is no reasonable argument that can be made that it's 100% Dable. 
I'm not saying Dable doesn't have an effect on this. He absolutely does. He's an offensive play caller, and he's done really well. But this idea that is a binary, success equals Dable, no Dable equals no success. It's an overly simplistic argument, and it really doesn't have any backing in any sort of historical data. So I'm happy about Brian Dable staying, in part because you have scenarios that have come up where people are still Josh Allen doubters. And I'm all about it. I am all about finding ways to have a reasonable argument against those people. And the first one is, he's a fluke. And I think that that is going to go away if Josh Allen has another year of success. The second one is, it's Brian Dable, and that one will be lessened. So I'm all about it. Now, for the purposes of this podcast, as we discuss the upcoming AFC Championship game against the Kansas City Chiefs, we are going to operate under the assumption Patrick Mahomes is going to play. We are not going to spend any time talking about Patrick Mahomes' health for the purposes of this podcast. So don't expect any for the rest of the day today, and don't expect any in tomorrow's podcast. We are going to operate under the assumption Patrick Mahomes is playing. If he doesn't, he doesn't. But we are going to operate as if he was. And one of the discussions that came up, one of the narratives that's come up on social media this week is, do you want Patrick Mahomes to play? Do you want to play the Chiefs at 100%? Or would you rather he not play? Well, it's pretty simple for me. I would like to win the game. And I do think that Patrick Mahomes being out is a very, very significant factor in whether or not the Chiefs win or lose the game. However, simultaneously with I want to win the game is this phenomenon. I am a competitive guy. I like to win. I enjoy winning. But I want to win because I'm good, not because you suck. There's a difference there for me. I'll give you a great example. So I'm a Bills content creator, and there is a really good Bills content community out there. There are tons of different networks and shows and channels and podcasts and websites and blogs and all the things you want to be able to consume Bill's content. And ostensibly, I am a competitor with those other avenues, those other outlets. You would think I'm a competitor with Joe Marino, Locked On Bills, with Cover One, the Buffalo Fanatics, the Cold Front Report. Over and over and over and over again. You think Bruce is a competitor. Any ears that are listening to Bruce are not listening to those people. And any ears that are listening to those people are not listening to Bruce. Why do I go on those shows? Why would I go on those shows? Why would I retweet their stuff? And here's the reason why. I want to win because I'm good, not because you suck. Because it does matter to me. Now, I'll take a victory however I can get it. I don't think I'm going to like poo-poo. I'm not going to be upset if Patrick Mahomes doesn't play. I'm not going to be mad. Oh, man. I really wanted him to play. No, I'm not going to be mad. But I have a preference. My preference is I want to win because I'm good, not because you suck. And with the quarterback position being a big, big part of winning and losing, even though we know wins aren't a quarterback stat, We acknowledge that quarterbacks are the plurality of the reason on the field why you win and lose a game. 
And quarterback play is a big part of winning and losing. So, I acknowledge that Patrick Mahomes being present or being absent would have a significant effect on the Kansas City Chiefs for the AFC Championship game. I know that. But I would prefer to win because I'm good, not because you suck. And it's the same thing with my content creation community. I want them all to do well. Yes, I want to do well in the content creation space. Of course I do. Anything you do, you should want to do it well. I want to be a good Buffalo Bills podcaster. I work hard at my craft. But I don't want to be the number one Bills podcaster and get there because everyone else is terrible. Okay, what does that say about my achievement? I feel the same way about this. Now, I'm not going to throw a fit. I'm not going to be upset if Patrick Mahomes doesn't play. Again, I feel strongly he's going to play. But that was a narrative that was talked about this week. And because it's a narrative that's talked about this week, we're going to talk about it. And now we're done talking about it. And we're going to take a quick break. And then we're going to come back. And we're going to talk about the Ravens game. We're going to dish out plurality pie. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. All right. Ravens game. It was a thing. I think the interesting thing for me about the Ravens game was that the Bills won it in so different of a fashion than they won against the Colts. One of the reasons why it's important to make sure that everything you do on the field as a football team you do effectively is because you never know when it's necessarily going to be important. So I've said all year long that I don't think running the ball consistently is that important. I do want to run effectively because there may come a time when you need to run effectively. And I don't think it's as valuable as passing the ball, but there may come a day when you need it. For the Bills, that day was against the New England Patriots when the Patriots were playing six defensive backs and they were Wind gusts. In this particular game, the defense had to rise up in a way that it didn't against the Colts. Josh Allen was a huge part of the reason why the Bills beat the Colts. He was less of a reason why the Bills beat the Ravens. It was more about the play of the defense. Not just the pick six from Taron Johnson, which was a magnificent play. Josh Allen called it a franchise-altering play but also the ability to minimize Lamar Jackson as a runner and the ability to make big plays when it mattered most because the Ravens opened up that game gashing the Bills in the run game and we all went, "Uh uh-oh. I don't know if you did. I did. I was like, "Uh uh-oh. Small sample size, but not promising. Kind of looked at my wife and said, not great, Bob. It wasn't a good moment. But... When it was all said and done, the Baltimore Ravens didn't put points on the board. Well, we missed two field goals, the Ravens fans. Well, we missed two field goals too, say the Bills fans. And the Bills defense is the number one reason why the Buffalo Bills beat the Baltimore Ravens this particular game. The Ravens also came out differently on defense than I anticipated that they would. I expected a blitz-heavy attack from the Ravens' defense. That is not what they gave the Bills at all. 
the Ravens blitz the Bills less from a percentage standpoint than the Bills blitz the Ravens. And the Bills were obviously concerned about that because other teams have been concerned about that, blitzing and having Lamar break contain and making a play down the field or with his legs where you end up with more defenders behind him than in front of him because you blitzed and he outflanked your defense. But the Bills still ended up blitzing Lamar more than the Ravens blitzed Josh Allen. I really liked a lot of the Ravens' defensive plan, just from an intellectual level. I mentioned on the Rockpile Report podcast with Chris and Drew earlier this week that an early ball that Josh Allen threw, and it looked like it ended up being double coverage on Stephon Diggs down the field, actually looked at the snap like it was cover zero. But there was a middle-of-the-field defender in a cover one look that was actually on the line of scrimmage when Josh Allen got ready to snap the ball. And the second he got ready to snap the ball, that guy got on his horse and started making a beeline for the center of the field. The play was designed to bait you into throwing it down the field to a spot where you thought a safety or a middle-of-the-field defender was not going to be because you thought it was cover zero. But it was actually cover one. It was a great play call by Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator for the Ravens. And that's kind of what we saw a lot of. You saw a lot of cover two, some cover one, and you had a spy or a bracket. And they played coverage. And I think that speaks to the level of respect they have against Josh Allen versus the way that they had respect for him or lack of respect for him last year. The old adage against quarterbacks is you blitz really bad ones and you play coverage against really good ones because really good ones can beat the blitz. We're going to talk about it a little bit tomorrow. Patrick Mahomes, absolutely lethal against the blitz. You can tell a lot about a quarterback by how good they are against the blitz. Lamar Jackson against the blitz, passer rating 94.1. Josh Allen against the Blitz, passer rating 112.9. Tom Brady against the Blitz, passer rating 90.0. Aaron Rodgers against the Blitz, passer rating 112. Patrick Mahomes against the Blitz, passer rating 135.3. Let's compare that to some other less effective quarterbacks in the NFL. Daniel Jones, passer rating when blitzed, 77 Point one. Sam Darnold, when blitzed, 80.2. Drew Locke, when blitzed, 71.3. So there's this ebb and flow that comes from quarterback development. They have a tendency, defensive coordinators do, to put pressure on newer, younger quarterbacks until, until they've proven they can beat the blitz. Then the question becomes, can you get there with four? Because we want to put them under pressure. Almost every quarterback in the league is always less effective under pressure than they are clean. But we're not willing to blitz to get there. We got to get a good pass rush with four. And so there's this kind of cycle that goes through. And Josh Allen has gone through it too. So last year, the Ravens blitzed the ever-living bejesus out of Josh Allen. And the narrative became single high cover zero blitz looks. How does Josh Allen improve against that thing? The Ravens already saw what Josh Allen had done this year and gave him more respect than they did last year. 
The Ravens games from 2019 to 2020 are good goalposts. And they're good measuring sticks for how far Josh Allen has come, even since last year when he played the Ravens. That's the reason why I bring this up. Because I think it's an interesting marker that in a game where the Ravens don't win and they go home, they thought their best course of action was, let's not blitz him, he'll rip us apart. I'm not saying that Josh Allen was extremely effective against the Ravens, because he wasn't. He was fine. He was meh. He was all right. But the game plan that the Ravens had tells you something. Because the last time they played him, it was effective by blitzing. So you would think, well, I'll just do the same thing again. But they knew that Josh Allen was probable, highly probable even perhaps, to light him up like a Christmas tree if they did that. So they didn't. And that's one of my biggest takeaways from the Ravens game is using the 2019 and 2020 Ravens games as barometers and as measuring sticks can help us to learn how far Josh Allen has come as if somehow we didn't know. So on that note, let's dish out some plurality pie. Number one on the individual plurality pie, Stefan Diggs, 18%. The fact that every single defense that the Bills face knows that Stefan Diggs is the centerpiece of a passing attack that is the centerpiece of the Bills' offense, and he still keeps getting six-plus receptions and 100 yards week after week is a testament to the fact that the dude can do whatever he wants. He can get to any spot on the field he wants, and you can't stop it. It's extremely impressive. People talk a lot about how much Stephon Diggs has helped Josh Allen. I think there's a reasonable argument that Josh Allen has helped Stephon Diggs. Stephon Diggs has never had these type of discussions around his name when it comes to the elite of the elite. Stephon Diggs has never been an all pro. There was a lot of discussion coming out of Minnesota that he wasn't even the best receiver on his own team when he left. Well, he's a number two receiver. Congratulations on giving a first round pick for a number two receiver. And if that's the narrative, can you blame him for wanting out? Josh Allen's helped Stephon Diggs too. And Stephon Diggs is clearly the alpha and the number one receiver on this team. And he has helped this team win multiple games that I don't think they win if they don't have a receiver of that caliber. 18%. Josh Allen, 17%. Josh Allen's always going to be on this because quarterbacks are a huge part of the game. But he was... Eh, he was fine, you know, it was okay. He was, was all right. I don't think Josh Allen was a really, really good player against the Ravens. It was fine. He did fine. Jerry Hughes, 13%. Y'all need to put some respect on Jerry Hughes at some point. 16th in the NFL in pressures in the regular season, but the 22nd in cap hit for defensive ends. Jerry Hughes is still a really good value. The extension he signed last year, Still a good value. 16th in the NFL in pressures, 22nd in cap hit when it comes from defensive ends. He's had one less than good year since joining the Bills. And it was 2016. That was the year where Jerry Hughes was eh, not that good. Every other year he's played for the Bills, he's been above average. And I'm happy he's a Buffalo Bill. Taron Johnson, 11%. I mean, come on. 
Run stops are helpful. Pick six was a huge play of the game. You get some points for one play. We established that last week with Daryl Williams, who I didn't think had a great day, but he made one huge play that showed up on the plurality pie. Taron Johnson had a better day against the Ravens than Daryl Williams did against the Colts, but he also had a huge play and he gets 11%. Good for Taron Johnson, who I don't think was playing well overall earlier this year and got benched for it because he wasn't playing over well. But the person he got benched for got hurt early and Taron Johnson came back in. And to his credit, he's played well down the stretch and made some impact plays in the run game and in the pass game for this team. Trey White, 9%. A big part of Taron Johnson being able to go for six is Trey White being out in front of Lamar Jackson. Because Lamar Jackson can outrun both of them. And he can definitely make enough of a play to slow down or stop Taron Johnson. In addition, Trey White continued to be effective as a tackler when he needed to be. Matt Milano, 8%. Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds are good linebackers. Matt Milano's instincts in coverage and Tremaine Edmonds' length in coverage show up when you play a team like the Ravens who wants to throw to the middle of the field. And Matt Milano, key pass breakup, pressure, some tackles, two run stops. I'll take it for sure. Trent Murphy, 7%. Good for Trent Murphy to step up, get a big tackle for loss when necessary. Trent Murphy played okay this game. And I don't think I'm putting him on here because he made great plays. I'm putting him on here because it can be really difficult as a veteran to keep your head in it when you get deactivated and continue to prepare. That's real difficult. Trent Murphy got a pressure. Trent Murphy had a tackle. Trent Murphy's got a stop. He was able to keep his head in the game and his length and his savvy were helpful against the Ravens on Sunday. 17% other. So again, Stephon Diggs, 18%. Josh Allen, 17%. Jerry Hughes, 13%. Taron Johnson, 11%. Trey White, 9%. Matt Milano, 8%. Trent Murphy, 7%. Other, 17%. Ladies and gentlemen, we served up plurality pie. And let's hope we serve up a whooping to the Kansas City Chiefs this upcoming Sunday evening. Ladies and gentlemen, Come back tomorrow. We got good stuff planned. And until next time, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumble.